All right, are you ready? Here we go. Uh, We're going to jump into week two of God Help Us Unite. God Help Us Unite. Uniting is a tough thing, and it's like how? You look around all over the world right now, and you see so much division. You see so much heartache. You see pain. You see differences of opinion. You see people fighting and not getting along. But in God's family, we're to be united. And so one of the one of the biggest ways, last week, we talked about Christ-centered relationships. And so that's number one. If you want to be united, then you need to have Christ in the middle. He needs to be the centerpiece of your relationships. A second way, and I think equally as important, is to have mission-driven relationships, right? You know the kind of relationships when, and I had these when I was a kid, you got together with your friends and you did a whole lot of nothing, and wasn't that awesome, right? You know, with my friends, we had three things in the pantry at all time. Dr. Pepper, Red Hots, and Ding Dongs, Hostess Ding Dongs. Um, And that's like the diet of a teenage boy, right? And so uh, we had a blast doing a whole lot of nothing, playing Madden, watching movies, staying up late. And life was awesome, but it wasn't very purposeful, right? And I'm so glad that that wasn't every, that wasn't all of that relationship. Those friends of mine, we also went to church together and we went on ministry trips together and we did things together that centered around our mission and our relationship with Christ. Why? Because a mission driven relationship will always be more significant in your life than just hanging out, than just meeting up after work to have a drink. You know, that's just, that, that's just like a surface level relationship. It goes to a whole nother level when you say, let's do something together that matters in eternity, right? A mission-driven relationship. Have you experienced one? It's when you're bound together by something bigger than yourself. There's this be with factor. Man, you're not just going through life. You're doing it with somebody else and you're do some, doing something that matters, you know, there's experiences that bind us together. For instance, I took my boys on an epic survival trip to the Boundary Waters in between Minnesota and Canada, and we were out hours away in the wilderness from anybody by ourselves all week long, and it was amazing. And then that trip is going to bind us together as family, me and my boys, for the rest of our life. We'll always have that memory. Maybe you've gone on a missions trip or a retreat when you were in youth group. Those, those kind of experiences bind you together. But how much even more cool uh, for us as a church to go on a mission together of reaching our world, or of preparing places where people connect, can connect, of preparing places where lives can be changed, and we do it united together because we're on mission together. What's the opposite of a mission-driven relationship? Dead-end roads all over the place. Dead-end roads, you know, they, 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 they materialize in the form of bitterness. Bitterness, it's like poison, and you're drinking it, and you're expecting somebody else to die from it, right? Gossip, slander, selfish ambition, like you're a part, but you're really in it for you. Envy, jealousy, always, always complaining, but never accomplishing anything. Have you ever been around somebody like that, that always has something to say, but they're never really a part? Full of opinion, but void of significance. Man, 
I've caught myself in that kind of place in life before where I had opinions about everything, but I wasn't really doing anything with my time of any significance. And that's not God's plan for you or for me. And I don't want to stay there. And so I want to be a part of mission-driven relationships. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, Paul is coaching his mentor, his mentee, Timothy, in the faith. And he was talking about people that can detract you from your mission, from the, the, the mission of your life, which for every single one of it's, it's the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with everything you got. And the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Make disciples. Teach them what Jesus has taught you. Every single person in this room, that's your mission as a Christ follower. And so listen, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 5, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And I just want to encourage you as you pick and choose your relationships in life, and we all do. And if you're a parent, you've coached your kids on picking the right relationships. Bind yourself together with people that are on mission and doing something significant for the kingdom of God. And remember all along the way that the relationship, just the relationship isn't the goal. Being like Jesus is the goal. And so I want to bind myself together with people that are going to help me look like Jesus. Because it's not about the It's not about the destination so much as it's about the journey. The journey is the destination, right? The journey's the destination. We're on journey together, growing in our faith to look more like Christ. And so what do mission-driven relationships look like? Pick up your notes. There's a copy in your seat. It's on your app. You can follow along today. Number one, mission-driven relationships. The people in those relationships love and hate the same things. They love and hate the same things. Now we're going to unpack this a little bit because hate is kind of a buzzword these days. But Ecclesiastes 3.8 says, a time to love and a time to hate. God's word says there's a time to love and there's a time to hate. General Booth, he, he founded the Salvation Army He said this, he said, I fear the day when we will have salvation without regeneration, we'll have faith without repentance, we'll have heaven without hell, and we'll have a love for God without a hate for evil. Listen, you and I as Christ followers, if we're going to join together on a mission-driven relationship of, of putting a smile on God's face, we have to remember that we cannot love God without hating sin. Now, when I say something like this as a pastor, there's, there's two types of people. And I've got to mention a couple things, especially in our current social climate. Because when in church, when we talk about loving certain things and hating certain things, you know, there's two types of people. One group usually starts hooting and hollering, and they have this attitude that's like, you tell them, pastor, go get them, pastor. Right? And I just want to tell you right off the bat, that's weird. Because... It's never a good thing to get excited when the faults of other people are pointed out. Listen, you're not the Holy Spirit, so you can take your junior partner pin of the Holy Spirit off. You can set it down and let the Holy Spirit do his job. When we talk about things that we hate, 
usually we're talking about our sinful nature that all of us have. And so when we talk about things that, you know, we don't want to be like, man, it's with, it's with a humble attitude. We're not pointing the finger. We're saying, woe is me. I need the grace of God just as much as you do. It's like one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And so when we talk about things that we hate, don't jump on that train of being like, go get them. Who's them? You're them. I'm them. We're in this together. Here's the other thing. The other group, the other side of the pendulum, when we talk about loving and hating certain things, that other group gets offended because they're uncomfortable with God being a judge and they're uncomfortable with the word hate in general. Why? Because they're equally as uncomfortable with somebody calling them out because they have something in their own life that they know they need to work on. And this is just kind of our society in general. We're uncomfortable with being told that we're wrong. But the very premise of the gospel is that all have fallen short of God's glory, which means you have things wrong with you and I've got probably more wrong with me. And so we're in this together and we're at the foot of the cross crying out to God for mercy and in his, and in his, in his lavish grace, he gives us what we don't deserve and calls us righteous and forgiven because of the blood that flowed down the cross of Calvary. Amen? Amen? This is good news. And so when we talk about loving and hating the same things, we don't pick up a club, right? We come to the foot of the cross. So let me be clear. God does not hate people. He hates sin. And when people are covered with sin, God cannot inhabit that temple. Luckily for us, the story of God throughout scripture from beginning to end is that he's been pursuing people and leading them out of or away from their sin. This is why he sent Jesus. This is why Jesus came. And we thank Jesus for taking our sin upon himself. Listen, when Jesus hung on that cross and he died for the sin of all humanity, for you and for me, and when, his, when, our, sin, when, when our sin went on him, guess what? God couldn't look. God turned his face away from Jesus. And Jesus cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because of your sin and mine. So God couldn't look. This is why repentance is such a critical thing. Realizing I've got stuff wrong and God is a judge and he's also my savior, right? This is one of the most important dichotomies that seems to compete with itself, but it really doesn't in scripture, is that God is both judge and he's savior. He's so full of love and he hates the sin that destroys our lives. Don't ever confuse your sin with your identity. Jesus can hate the sin in your life and love you more than you can ever imagine at the same time. That's how big his grace is. But nevertheless, we need to love the right things and hate the right things. Psalm 101, three says, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Psalm 119, 13 says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And I could read a bunch more things in scripture that scripture talks about hating. And then Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48. And he says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both 
evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. What does this tell me? That instead of being part of the problem, I always have to be a part of the solution. And a part, somebody that's a part of the solution in God's economy is somebody that loves, loves, loves all the time. I'm gonna be a part of the solution. So what does this look like when we flesh it out in our lives? Because I love God's word and I hate the devil's lives. Why? Because the devil's lies, they hurt people. What? That's why we do things like growth track, Mosaic 101, 201, 301, because we care about people knowing the truth and getting God's word in their life and figuring out how to feed themselves on the word of God. What else does it look like? We love financial freedom in Christ. We hate debt. And so we do financial peace to provide a road for people to find financial freedom. We love being a part of God's family. We hate for people to walk through life alone, for people to be rejected and outcasts in, in society. We don't like that. And so what do we do? We create environments through life groups because no one should have to go through life or church alone. And so get in a group. We create these environments for people to be in relationship. We love kids and youth. How many of you love the next generation? You got kids, you got grandkids. They're some of the best people in the world. We love their potential. We love their vibrancy for life. We hate when their lives are derailed by the world's influence and the devil's lies. Can I get an amen? We hate when we see kids take their own lives because they've bought into a bag of lies. We hate that. And so what do we do? We, we have family ministries from kids through youth where students and kids can find who they are in Christ and, and build lives based on his word. We love God's amazing grace and his good news. We hate that, that so many people don't know about it or don't understand it. So what do we do? We create a church that's three chair where unbelievers and new believers and mature believers can all grow in their faith and understand what's being said. Why? Because we want to create a place where we love people as they are, but we love them too much to leave them there. Just like God does. We love you as you are, but man, we're going to love you too much to leave you as you are. We got to grow to be like Christ. Listen. Those who are busy doing the right things, loving the right things, hating the right things, they don't have time to throw stones. And this is where the unity piece comes in. Man, we're on mission-driven relationships. And so we're, we're busy doing the work of the kingdom. We don't have time to throw stones or complain or gripe. Listen, the church isn't perfect, but it's still the bride of Christ. And so if you're looking for a perfect church, if you're looking for this perfect place where everything is just perfect, guess what? You're not going to find it. And you just made it less perfect when you walked in. Just like I made it less perfect when I walked in. Right? And so, man, we're coming together and we're trying to love and hate things that God loves and hates. 
And we remember above all, John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he gave. He loved and he gave. And that's our model too. Number two, if we're going to be in mission-driven relationships, then we must stay unified for exponential impact. Stay unified for exponential impact. Proverbs 28, 29, 18 says this, where there, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another fra- favorite preacher of mine, he says, where there is no vision, the people find another parish. Some of you will get that on the way home. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint, another version says. And basically what this means is when people aren't busy doing the work and, and busy doing what God has created them to do, then they cast off restraint. They start like fighting with each other and things just go haywire when they're not on point and on track and in alignment with the vision that God's given them. Listen, the word division literally means two visions. Die, that prefix in that word literally means two. And so it's like division. It means you have a vision and I have a vision and we're not on the same page. And we're both trying to go in opposite directions and what does that cause? That causes division. We're not operating under the same vision. You see this principle in dissect. You're tearing something apart. Dilute. You're making it not what it once was. Divide. You're dividing it into two parts. Listen, we can do more together than we can apart. So that's why we come together under these very simple principles of God's word. Great commandment, great commission. We got to stay unified on that. Unity doesn't mean you're the same. It doesn't mean you have to look like me. Thank God you don't want to look like me. It doesn't mean that you are the same. It means you're together. That we're together. That we can all have different gifts, but we're together. A couple just quick illustrations of this. One time I was a part of a great... Uh, team and, and we, in going, we were in a life group semester just like we're about to have and we were invited to do a community service project at a middle school and it was a big huge like double gym like two basketball courts and huge and they asked us to paint it how many of you love painting not many hands well guess what we got 45 people in that gym put a roller in every single person's hand poured the paint And the first coat was on in 45 minutes. 45 minutes in a massive gym. We were completely cleaned up and out of there, fresh coat of paint on the walls, two coats of paint on the walls in an hour and a half. That kind of stuff only happens when you do it together. You can do more together than you can apart. Can you imagine if you had to paint that gym by yourself? Days. Days and days. What about this? If you're if you got your charcoal fire at your house and you build that nice little pyramid and you light it and it's all hot, what happens if you take one of those coals and you set it off to the side? All the ones that, toge- that are together are going to stay hot and burning. That coal you set off to the side is going to cool off. It's going to stop burning. We got to stay together. A few, quite a few years ago now, goodness, probably over a decade ago, I ran my first triathlon. It was an Olympic distance triathlon, which means I I swam a mile and then I biked like 25 miles and then I ran six miles. Well, 
I wasn't much of a biker, so I'm on the bike, and I, this is my first race. I've never done this before. And so I'm riding along, and all of a sudden I see this motorcycle come up beside me, and they kind of hover beside me for a while, and I see them writing something on the clipboard, and I'm like, I don't know what that's all about. Get to the end of the race and look at my results, and they deducted two, or they added two minutes to my time as a penalty. You know why? Because I was too close to a bike in front of me, and I was doing something unknowingly called drafting which meant that the person in front of me was helping me pedal easier because the air, they were breaking the wind for me, right? Kind of like when you see the geese flying through the air and they're flying in a V formation and they're helping each other break the wind. And so the person in front is doing a lot of work and the other geese aren't having to do as much work. And see, that's a good picture because in life, man, you're on your own and, and you're just expected to do, do, do it all yourself. And it's almost like you get penalized if you're doing it with somebody else, kind of like I was doing in that race. But in God's economy, he said, run together. Listen, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great group of believers, run. Therefore, since, and listen to all the, the uh, group. I, I'm not good at English, but... I don't know if they're pronouns or whatever they are. Therefore, since we, what's we? Are you, huh? Pronoun. Look at that. Look at that recall from sixth grade grammar. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. It's not me. It's not strip it all off of me and I'm surrounded and I'm slowed down. No, it's us and we. And let us run with endurance the race, the race, one race, the race. So we're all in this race together. The race that God set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So we're surrounded by who? Each other and all those that have gone before us. We're running the race together and we get to draft behind each other all we want. They do that in NASCAR too, right? They're drafting. They're helping each other. They're carrying each other's burdens. We've got to stay unified for exponential impact. You still have to pedal, but it's easier together. United were powerful, divided were weak. Man, I've never done, I don't know about you, but I've never done anything memorable by myself, ever. It's always been with and because of other people. John Maxwell says, if you're lonely at the top, then you're doing something wrong. And I love that. If you're lonely in your life, if you've, if you've achieved this place in your life, but you're just lonely, then you're doing something wrong because you're not doing it with people. God's plan for you is so much better. He wants you to be a part of this family of believers doing life together. So let's go together. Let's go together. James 5.9 gives a, a, a kind of a stern warning. It says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Man, what a kind of, kind of verse that might creep you out a little bit. But this just tells me God's serious about this. God's serious about us staying together. And then we see a great example in Romans 16, 3 through 5. 
where Paul says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. And so we see Priscilla and Aquila, they got a church in their home. They're helping the other churches. They're helping Paul. They're a part of this race together with the other believers, and exponential impact is going on. The churches are exploding and growing all over the place. Love it. Lastly, this morning as we close, we remember that in mission-driven relationships, unity shows maturity. Unity shows maturity. Listen, what God seeks to unite, the devil schemes to divide every time. The devil wants us to be divided. The devil wants us to have blind spots. And when we are unaware of our blind spots in our relationships, we act immaturely. You see your kids do this all the time. You're talking with a friend and what does your kid come up? They come up and because they are unaware, they interrupt the conversation and act like nobody else is in the room. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Maybe it's just my kids. But, and so... We want to be aware of those blind spots so that we can be mature, that we can be in unity, so that we can be growing together. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, your meetings do more harm than good, right? Because that's normal. When people get together, they're going to disagree. But if we're unified, we're also growing towards maturity. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? No, otherwise they're not walking together. One's going this way and one's going another. I said it at the beginning, being like Jesus is the goal. That's the definition of maturity, growing up in every way to look like Christ. And Ephesians gives us a great model. We're gonna, we're gonna fly through this passage together and just highlight some things along the way. And I just encourage you this week during your devotions to, to go back through this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and just underline, maybe use this for your soap this week and, and what God is speaking to you. And just remember, you can't separate unity and maturity. How mature you are is going to be connected to how connected you are to the body of Christ and in relationships with those in the body of Christ because iron sharpens iron. And we have to have relationships that are making us better within the body of Christ. Listen to this. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, it says, therefore, and we're going to read a lot, and so hang on. Therefore, I, a prisoner serving for the Lord, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, so Paul's in prison, literally, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Right? Man, we could just stop right there and go home. That's a good word for us today. Lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, anytime there's a however, Paul's balancing these dichotomies of life. So we're together, 
But we also have to remember this. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says that he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Remember, what's the goal? Jesus. To lift up Jesus, for you to look like Jesus, for me to look like Jesus. The goal isn't my preference or your preference or, or any of that. It's to look like Jesus. And we're all helping each other get there. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, in that list, it's not, those aren't just, just offices. People function in these different areas all throughout the church all the time. For instance, your life group leader could function, you know, in a moment as your pastor. They might not have the title pastor, but they could speak into your life and pastor you through something, Right? Somebody could speak a word into your life and that'd be a prophetic word in your life. And, and to you, it just seemed like a word of advice, but actually they were being led by the Holy Spirit to speak something into your life that you needed here. And so God gives these gifts to the church and we get to operate in these different ways to each other. And so um, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come. Listen, this is the big one. This is going to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Man, so we're going to be unified. We're going to come to such unity in our faith so that we are mature, so that we measure up to what? to look like Jesus. Translated, what does that mean? I need you and you need me and we need each other so that we can grow up in every way into Christ and look like him. What does this mean? That we gotta commit to the process. Unity isn't optional. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. No such thing. We're doing it together. Christ as our standard is the goal. Then the, let's, let's go on. Next, next part. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Don't you want to be a part of a family like that? Man, I do. I want Mosaic Church to be that kind of family, that we're all chipping in and doing our part to build each other up and that, man, we're so unified that our unity and our service to each other and our speaking the truth and love to each other is helping us grow up in every way into, to make us look like Jesus, right? As the word says, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be working on that one until the day I see him face to face, right? And so where are you at? Where are you at? 
Because if we're going to be unified, we've got to love and hate the same things. What does that lead us towards? Repentance. Because if I'm not loving what God loves, I need to repent. If I'm not hating what God hates, whether it's in my, my own life or what I have control over, then I need to repent. And so maybe for you, as you want to have mission-driven relationships, it starts with you. Of saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me in the times that my heart wasn't aligned with yours. What about staying unified for exponential impact? Maybe for you that means it's time to get on board. It's time to be a part of the solution. It's time to run together to be with a group or, or in a ministry spot or serving somebody. Be a part of the church more than just coming on Sunday. Be a part of something bigger. Running together, surrounded by God's family. We're running the race together. What about when you heard about unity showing maturity? Maybe it's time to reevaluate our maturity level. To reevaluate our maturity level. You see, our maturity in Christ doesn't have anything to do with how long we've come to church. It doesn't have anything to do with how much scripture we know, although that really helps to know scripture. Our maturity has everything to do with us laying down our lives for other people. What Jesus say? He said, if you want to be the greatest, become the servant of all. Lay down your life for others. So your maturity is going to be directly connected to how unified you are with the others in the body of Christ. Is your unity with others attached to your maturity level? Or are you basing your maturity in Christ on other standards? Wherever you are today, good news is Christ died so that you can be unified with Christ and then that can bleed over into you being unified with the body of Christ, right? And so where are you at today? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. <clears throat> if you're that first person that, man, even if it's you're a follower of Christ, but you just need to take a step of repentance today and just say, God, that's me. Lately, I haven't been loving what you love and I haven't been hating what you hate and I need to get in alignment with you. And it doesn't, and, and you're personalizing this today. That's me, God. I need to get my heart in alignment with you and I need to repent. If that's you today, just raise your hand as a, as a message to God. God, that's me, amen. Maybe it's you that, man, you need to, get unified again with other believers and, and God's just challenging you to step it up in the relational department to, to, to be more proactive in how you unify with the body of believers. If that's you, just raise your hand today and say, God, that's me. I'm going to commit to that. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much those of you that raised your hand and let's just pray a prayer today together. God, we repent. <clears throat> God, the times when we weren't in line with you, the times when we weren't um, lockstep with you the times when our loves weren't your loves and the things we were hating weren't the things you are hating God help us to get in line with you Jesus we want to be on a mission driven relationship first and foremost with you on the plan that you've marked out for a life God and then with others we want to lock arms and just be a mighty force in your hand for the kingdom of God 
God, help us as a church to stay unified. Help us as a church to put you first. Help us as a church to remember that we can do more together than we can apart. We love you, Jesus. And we want to love each other like we love ourselves, just like you told us to. And so help us to keep it that simple. Help us not to dilute what you called us to do with so many other visions or, or endeavors. Help us to keep it simple, leading our friends to Christ, getting closer to you every single day. Help us to stay unified around the most important things. Help us not to squabble or, or complain or get onto each other or, or be any source of division in our relationships that would deter people from following you. Help us to work hard to present each other to you as people who have grown in, in a relationship with you, just spotless church, just like your word says. We love you, Jesus. We want you to stay in the center every day, every day. Just like Mallory said yesterday, today, and forever, God, we, we commit to you publicly that we're here for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me. Let's kind of shake the dust off before we leave. The prayer team is going to be up front when I dismiss you here in a moment. And so if you need prayer for anything, maybe you've got a pain in your body or something that needs healing or a family member that needs healing or uh, you've got a, a need of provision or or a wisdom, you just need wisdom about something or there's just something heavy in your heart, you don't even have to tell the team what it is. You can just come and say, pray with me. And they would love to pray with you and uh, to just, just minister to you in that way before you leave today, if you'd like. Don't forget to sign up for a life group. This Friday night, we got a family movie night. It's just to have fun night. Bring your kids, hang out with some other families. I wanna emphasize this is a family event, which means you're responsible for your little ones. And so uh, you need to keep eyes on them the whole night and know where they're at and what they're doing. Um, and we'll, we'll have some fun right here in this room, just hanging out and get to know each other. Um, Mosaic 201, we had to cancel it the last week because of this snow storm. How about this snow, everybody? Anybody tired of shoveling yet? Um, and so we got a new date, the 24th of this month. So in just a couple weeks, we'll have Mosaic 201 again. Um, Momentum, it's our annual members meeting, but everybody's invited. Um, March 7th, Sunday night. Come see what God's done in our church last year and where we're looking uh, for this next year. It'll be a great celebratory night. Um, and then if you'd like to worship God with your giving today, you can do that as you leave. Just want to say thank you. Your generosity um, allows, you know, ministry to happen in this building and, and throughout our community and for lives to be changed for kids ministries to keep going and life groups to start and youth to keep going and everything that we do at Mosaic to keep going. And so the missionaries we support, all of that, you know, when we give our tithes and our offerings, um, God's kingdom, um, we, we, we can do more here through, through the church. And so thank you so much for that. God, I pray for my friends as we're dismissed today. God, just bless them. Bless their socks off this week as they serve you and, and just love you with all they got in your name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.